1: Thank you, Lucy. I just muted myself. I am still Tara, um, compulsive overeater. Let me just get a screen here where I can see folks. Um, Thank you so much everybody for being here and Leslie um, for asking me to speak tonight um, and for being my fearless leader over the last year, um, working this program. Just a little bit about um, sort of my stats. I came into the rooms almost eight years ago. Um, I came in on December 6th of 2012. Um, I had just been diagnosed with lupus. Um, I knew that um, something needed to change and I had a very clear awareness that I was powerless to do the change. Um, So I came in on my knees and pretty desperate. I got a sponsor immediately, um, and I started my abstinence on December twentieth of twenty twelve um, and I've been abstinence since then and you know i before I start on the like sort of the script of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, I just want to make a pitch for service because for all the newcomers, welcome to the newcomers. congratulations to the chip takers um, happy birthday to Lynn. It is you know, with eight years in and eight years abstinent, like what's also true for me is like, I didn't want to come today um, and I didn't want to speak. Um, But what I've learned in this program is that I do it anyway, because if I don't do this, if I don't show up and if I'm not of service, if I don't meet my commitments, if I don't use the tools, if I don't work the steps, I don't keep my recovery and I don't keep my abstinence and my life goes back to the way that it was, And that could happen in an instant, in an instant. And I'm just not willing to go back there today. So I'm really grateful because having this service commitment this week or this weekend really anchored a very challenging week for me. Um, And being close to my program and knowing I was gonna be with all of you this week um, was sort of my higher powers gift uh, when I needed to be close to you all this week. So um, I'm grateful that I learned to say yes whenever asked even if I don't want to. Um, So a little bit about what it was like. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home, so there was a lot of chaos and unpredictability in my home. Uh, I learned very early how to assess everybody's moods, what you needed of me, who I needed to be so that you would be okay, I would be okay, the family unit would be okay. And I don't know that I came out, you know, I've heard people share that they came out of the womb a compulsive reader. I don't know if I did or I didn't. And at this point, it it doesn't really matter to me. But what I do know is pretty quick, um, pretty early on, I became a hardcore perfectionist um, and I became a hardcore people pleaser. And, you know, I've gone through a gotten older and gone through garages and packing up all my things and, you know, bringing them out of my, my parents' home over the years. I found this assessment when I think I was in second grade and it was an educational assessment and I must've been seven. And, and the the assessor in that moment identified like my perfectionism, you know, at seven years old and I have a nine-year-old daughter. And so it breaks my heart to think about at seven years old, I was fighting to like, well, give me another chance, like let me get it right, because if I get it right and if I do it perfectly, somehow like that gave me peace that I would be okay. And so that's a huge part of my story, is perfectionism is trying to control um, and not feeling enough. And that lasted, I mean, you know, still, it, it still pops up on my character defects, which I get to work on a daily basis, but you know, food didn't become um, really loud and really noticeable in my mind or in my body until I got a little bit older. I was an average-sized kid, um, and when I came into the rooms, if you would have asked me, you know, when did, when did you first discover that you had an addiction with food, um, I would have said college. And because that's when it manifested in a way that was very clear, I was restricting, I started binging, I started purging, you know, I was really worried about what this physicality looked like in a way in a body size way. But when I went through my initial step work, and I wrote about my body history, I was able to look back that it started when I was a child. And my parents split, I I grew up in New York, and my parents split. And we moved to California, it was the only place that we knew anybody outside of New York City. And I would have fly back to see my dad over the summer and I would be alone and I would you know, be with an act, active alcoholic and my dad would pick me up in the car. He'd say, what do you want to eat? And the car would be full of all my binge foods, you know, my nine-year-old, 10-year-old binge foods. And I would just get in the car and I would eat. And I needed that because I felt so unsafe and I was so scared. And I'm so grateful now as a mother having a child, I'm so grateful that I had that then. I was 3,000 miles away from the only safe and secure attachment I had with an adult and I was really on my own. And so I'm super grateful um, that I had food during those early years. And so food was something that I used to feel safe, um, to disconnect, to have something to do. Uh, And I used it most often as a child in those moments with my dad. but the the not enoughness has been prevalent throughout my society, like feeling society throughout my life, feeling like something was wrong with my body. Well, in the beginning, it might not have been my body size. It was that my skin was too pale, um, I had a flat chest, I had too much acne. There was always something that was not okay, not right. Like I needed to be different. Um, And that left a pretty significant mark. And when I got into high high school, when I got into college, I had a, you know, a a breakup of a relationship, Um, you know, like sort of the first love relationship ending. And my best thought was being at UCLA and going into the dating world. Well, I I think I should lose weight. That's what I read in the magazine that you're supposed to do. So let me lose weight. Um, And I didn't have dieting in my history. And I didn't have parents around me who dieted either. And so I didn't really know how to go about it. So I just went, well, let's just stop. Let's eat less. And so that worked for a while. And I got kind of a high off of eating less. Um, And I ate less and I ate less. And the control part of me loved it. Like everything else was sort of out of control in my life, but I could manage and control this. And that helped me feeling grounded and sometimes even powerful in all honesty. Um, And so I restricted for as long as I could um, and that started showing up on my body. And I was still in college and I went home for the summer and my parents took me to an eating disorder assessment and I wasn't willing and I wasn't ready. And as a part of that, I was sent to an OA meeting. I was 19 years old. I was sent to an OA meeting uh, focused on anorexic and, and bulimics. I was 19 years old. Um, probably everybody in the room was my age Um, I didn't see myself. I didn't hear my story. I thought y'all were crazy. I said, I would never do that in my forties. Um, I'm just trying to lose a few pounds. Um, and I fled and I spent the next 20, almost 20 years, you know, doing research. Um, and that was painful research. Um, so 20 years later, I think over the course of that time, you know, through outside help, some of the most profound manifestations of my disease um, were lifted. So purging stopped, binging did not. Um, And what I recognized over time is that, and I have the language through this program is, and the big book is that I have a God-sized hole. I have a spiritual malady. I will fill it with lots of different things. You know, food is absolutely like my first way of doing that. It was the first way that I learned how to do that. What you think about me is another way of trying to fill that hole. Screen, social media, television, television things like that, I can fill it with. I can fill it with jobs, um, jobs that are important with adrenaline that are changing the world. I can fill it with shopping. I can fill this God-sized hole with so many things. And so what that has looked like in my food and my body is this, like food has ebbed has ebbed and flowed over the years. Um, and so it was hard sometimes to see that like I needed to come back here. And when my, my daughter was born in 2010, I think that's, the, you know, that's what it was like, what happened was my daughter was born and everything, like my world was turned upside down. Um, a complete loss of control, a complete loss of identity, a complete loss of time, of privacy, of everything that I knew to be true. And my eating disorder took off on a level that it hadn't really manifested since I was in college. And it was lying, cheating, stealing like you name it, I was in the throes of it. So and i was one of those go to the grocery store pretend i'm having a party you know to make a, an excuse for all the food that was on the conveyor belt i'd figure out like how much time could pass to change shifts at fast food restaurants so i wouldn't see the same people i'd talk to pretend people in the back of my car um i'd go to different i i came up with whatever lie i could i would tell my husband that i was going to a grocery shop and care for the family while i was going out to get binge foods and sit in a parking lot um i've done it all um i've eaten out of the trash and i share all that just for newcomers because when i first came in i felt like i was the only person on the planet who had done that and i had such shame over it and when i came into the rooms and people were talking about and i see mickey going yeah like and we can laugh about it now like it just takes the shame out of it and i just realized i'm just another bozo on this bus there's nothing unique about me Lots of people think the way I do, do what I do. And I get such comfort out of that. It really lets me be honest. And honesty is also the way that I get close to my higher power and I get recovery. So I share that um, because it's part of my story and it's true. So my daughter was born and, and my bottoms were, there were several, I, I kind of had to hit, you know, progressively lower bottoms. Um, one was getting was getting diagnosed um, with two autoimmune diseases, as I mentioned, one was lupus. And through my own research, figuring out that the way that I had treated my body, um, both by what I put into it, what I did to it, the chaos and stress in my brain had manifested in autoimmune conditions and recognizing that some of that would need to be changed. And I had tried, like I had tried for 37 years um, and I was pretty accomplished in the outside version of my life. So I had checked a lot of the boxes. I had the master's degree, I got married, I had the kid, I had traveled, like I'd done all those things, but um, I couldn't do this. Um, So that was one of my bottoms. And the other bottoms was just the level of lying. You know, I wanted to become a parent. My husband and I actively tried to become a parent, and I found that I was lying to my, you know, 15 month old daughter about what I was doing. So we would go, I'd take her to an indoor playground and we'd stop at a drive-thru on the way in and I'd say, oh, mommy's just getting water. She didn't know what I was doing. She didn't care what I was doing, but the fact that I was lying. Um, And then I'd take her to the playground and only stay the amount of time that, you know, that was appropriate so that I could then go back to the same drive-thru to get more and i was checked out like my daughter was getting in the way of my disease she was getting in the way of my food and what i wanted to do with my food and my body and i think those two things combined my lupus lying to my daughter not being present and realizing that the level of my lying was was just pretty deep i knew that something was not okay Um, and I knew I wanted something different so I went online and I looked and I knew OA existed obviously because I had gone almost 20 years ago to my first meeting Um, and I came in I, I heard I don't think I think I found the podcast right away which is why this is such this was such a lifeline to me and I think when I first got the idea that something is wrong and with the fear of my lupus that I could die, like this was a progressive disease with my addiction and also with this autoimmune condition, like I could progressively get worse and I could die. Um, I listened to, I don't know, 25 podcasts because I'm, obs- I'm an obsessive compulsive person. So I listened to 25 podcasts. Um, I heard my story and then I set out to find the woman who, whose story I connected to because I was sure she was going to get me abstinent and she was going to get me recovery. Um, I found her. Um, she was not my sponsor, but my, uh, my commitment to finding her got me to the six meetings that they say, you know, if you're trying to decide whether this program is for you or not, there's a suggestion to newcomers to go to six different meetings because every meeting has a different feel. You get an opportunity to hear stories until you hear your own. And it got me to enough to where I knew pretty instantly um, that I had found my home. I had found my people. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I knew like this is where I I needed to be. Um, And because I was pretty desperate, and my mom had joined Al-Anon several years before, so I knew about the steps, I was pretty anxious to jump right into the steps. Um, So I got a sponsor immediately, Um, I started working the steps immediately, and I got abstinence. Uh, pretty quickly. And I will say just because it's also my story, you know, my first couple of weeks of meetings, I was binging on my way to the meeting and I was binging after the meeting. Like that's, that was also true for me Um, because I think I, I was getting, I was having some realizations about the depth of this, this addiction and this disease that I had. Um, And it was really scary. And I found a great sponsor um, who was exactly what i needed at the time and we started working the steps and i had a lot of willingness and i think that's been key for me and my willingness is not always the same um, but i came in and i was willing and i started going to two meetings a week um, i called my sponsor daily and left a message with a list of questions i was asked to answer um, i had a service commitment at a meeting um, I started with a, you know, a daily spiritual practice and I got right into it. And I, I experienced the pink cloud pretty immediately. Um, my body started changing. Um, I was still learning a lot. You know, I, I always knew that I had a lot of feelings. I don't think I knew the level to with which I had feelings and the intensity of them until I put down, until I put down the food and the attempts to control my body. Um, and one of the things my my sponsor said when I came into the rooms, which was so helpful for me at that time, was that when I came into the rooms, I gave up the right to manipulate my body. Um, and so what I needed to do here was to focus on the big book, the steps, and the tools, and doing the footwork, and God would take care of my body. Um, and that has been true for me. when I. And there have been times in recovery where I, I get sort of the itch to mess with my body. Um, and also with an autoimmune condition, there are, there's a lot of information out there about the diet that will, you know, cure all of your symptoms. And so for me, like for all, for, for males to speak, for me, that's sexy. You know, the idea of like changing what I eat, controlling it for my health um, can still be sexy to me. So I I need to stay close to the spiritual and the emotional pieces of my recovery and the physical piece then generally takes care of itself. So I spent my first year and a half here in Los Angeles in the rooms and um, then we moved. um, And we left Los Angeles, we went to another city. And I know that there are people from probably all all over the world on this meeting right now, but just have to pitch the amazing recovery that I'm so grateful to be be back in Los Angeles, to have started the recovery in Los Angeles and to be back in Los Angeles today because my reco- I had a different experience in recovery when I wasn't in the, in the LA rooms. Um, and what I noticed over the course of those four years while I wasn't here, I remained abstinent and I continued working with my sponsor from a distance. Um, but my two meetings dropped to one. Um, I didn't have a service commitment. And so, my level of commitment, and I think the amount of footwork that I was doing started showing up in my recovery and my disease My disease exists between my ears like it 's in my head. the food is just the manifestation of what 's in my head and so my head was getting louder, my food was getting louder, um, and things started feeling a little bit shaky for me, and I also noticed slowly over time that my body started changing and weight started coming on a little bit at a time. Now I was on different medication. I was perimenopausal, like who knows? But what's also true is that my food was getting bigger and my food was getting less spiritual. And that's, what's honest and true. Um, And I know that I'm only as sick as my secrets. And if I pretend that it was anything else but that it's not going to serve my recovery. Um, So I came back I came back to Los Angeles and came back into the rooms and I feel like my recovery is having a renaissance, um, I sort of say, which is also the beauty. Like when I came in, my first plan was overachiever perfectionist, like I'm going to get in, I'm going to go hard, I'm going to get the answers and I'm out. Um, And I remember when people would say, you know, I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. I think, geez, like, are you serious? Like, I'm not grateful about any piece of this. Um, And today, like I'm one of those people because my acceptance that I have a disease, I have a spiritual malady that is going to be a part of me forever means that I know no matter how imperfect my program is, like the one thing I've done perfectly one day at a time is I've never left these rooms. Um, And I always am going to need these rooms and you and the steps and my higher power. Like I'll be 85 and I'm still going to have what's in between these ears. So I need this. And so I, I started working, um, I started working with a new sponsor about a year ago. And again, like my higher power just gave me exactly what I needed because I needed somebody who would just call a spade a spade. And somebody who had a recovery program that blew my mind, um, you know, 30 years and 25 years in different programs and like walking this walk, like nobody I've ever seen. And so today, what my program looks like, and this was pre-Zoom, and I say that because it's easier to go to Zoom meetings these days. But pre-Zoom, I was going to four meetings a week. I had service commitments in three meetings. Um, I generally call my sponsor every day. Um, I, am, I, I commit to call my sponsor every day. And I am of service, I I have sponsees. Um, My level of involvement is like it never has been and like by the grace of my higher power because who knew, you know, in August when I met her and we started working together, like what I was gonna need come March um, in this life. And so my recovery today is I work it pretty hard and I have to work it pretty hard. And as a result, I've been able to go through the last year of my life, which has brought a lot of pain um, and a lot of turmoil, abstinently. And what I've been able to do, and, and while I've been absent all along, it feels different today. Like there's another level of, of honesty, I think, in me and recognition that This isn't supposed to be convenient, Um, you know. Like I have to do it no matter what, you know. I I I share this because I just I just love this. And for those of you who are in the LA area, I live in Altadena, um, and light a candles in Brentwood, so that is a commute on a Saturday afternoon. And I can come up with a million reasons: my lupus, my daughter, you know, yada yada yada, why while why it's not convenient. And my sponsor, you know, very lovingly reminded me, it's not supposed to be convenient. Like nobody ever said this was going to be easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. So get your butt to Brentwood on Saturdays because you want recovery. And come early and stay late. And sit in the front row. And thank the speaker. And, and get in the center of the herd. I think my first, you know, six years in program, I was on the periphery. And, and I share this in this way because it makes me laugh, and it just reminds me of my daughter, but my daughter's obsessed with you know, wild felines. She wants to be a nature photographer when she gets older, and she's obsessed with cats, big cats. And so we watch a lot of nature documentaries. And so if you are an animal, if you are a gazelle, and you're on the outskirts of the herd, you're getting devoured, like you're done. And so for me, like when I was on the outskirts of Always herd you know, it was working for a while, but I was on my way, I feel like I'm getting devoured again by my disease. And so today I'm in the center of the herd and that is giving me, you know, day, one day at a time, a recovery that I'm so deeply grateful for and that I so deeply need. Um, And so today life is, you know, I'm, I'm a different person. You know, when people meet me today who didn't know me before recovery, They think I'm calm. Um, They think I'm, you know, reflective and meditative. Like I, I, I mean, in my core, I'm still a hardcore Type A, intense New Yorker. Um, But, but I think this program has really manifested where I get to show up in a way that's different. Like I really embrace that I am a human having a human experience, which means I'm super imperfect. I make a ton of mistakes. Um, And that's just what is expected of me having a human experience. So I give myself and others a whole lot of grace around that. Um, I really work hard at what other people think of me is none of my business. Like that is because I've cared so much about what you all have thought about me. You know, that was such a gift that what other people think about me is none of my business. And I also can't control it. So let me pick up my big book instead of worrying about what everybody is thinking about what I'm saying right now, because that's just me and my pride and my self-obsession. Those are my character defects that manifest themselves. And so I have a blueprint for living today. And, And I know it's not uncommon to hear people say that, but gosh, it's so true. So yesterday when I woke up, number one, I was able to identify that I was feeling hopeless, like that's amazing that number one, I can, are, I can reach in and feel that I'm having a feeling. I can name that it's hopelessness and that I then call my sponsor, write a letter to God, meditate, pray, call other people, you know, and keep going down my list of tools and then make my action plan for the day and say, all right, higher power, I'm just gonna do one thing on this list at a time And then the end of the day will come. Um, I planned my food, the end of the day will come and tomorrow will be a new day. And these days that has been such a gift for me because the solution is never in the food for me. But if I don't have, I heard somebody say, I think it was last week, the speaker, what was it planning and execution? Like I have to plan and execute because left to my own devices, I'm still sneaky, like, and I'm still going to think like ordering out is a good idea because I'm feeling hopeless. Um, Ordering out is never a good idea for me when I'm feeling hopeless, unless I call my sponsor and I talk about it ahead of time and I plan what I'm going to do around it. So today, I work work a program that I feel proud of. I get to show up with integrity. I do things that I don't want to do on a daily basis. Um, because that's what I have to do to be in recovery. And I get to then show up as a fellow, as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother, as a worker, as a member of my community in a way that I wouldn't have been able to and I didn't before. Um, I'm proud of who I am in the world. Um, I feel most days I feel good enough in the world. Um, And that from where I came from, um, that I was never enough, And that the only way I would be okay is if I was perfect, achieved everything and made sure that like I people pleased the you know what out of you. Um, The fact that I can just walk through the world feeling good enough. If I get nothing else out of my recovery, like that is plenty. Um, Because that gives me such freedom on a daily basis. So thank you. Um, And just before I'll I'll wrap up and then I can take any questions. You know, I also just want to say that The gift too, and I remember when I was a newcomer, this was important for me to hear is I've gone through really hard things abstinently, you know, before coming into these rooms, you know, if you didn't call me when you said you were going to call, like I was binging, you know, if it was raining and I forgot my umbrella, I was binging. Um, Like no matter what it was, if there was a slight, if I was two minutes late for an appointment, I was binging. Um, and when I heard people talk about all these really painful things that they had gone through and they had gone through abstinently, at the beginning it blew my mind. And almost eight years in, you know, that has been true in my life. With my own health journeys. You know, I lost a pregnancy. My dad was hospitalized long term. Through this pandemic, you know, he he had COVID. I'm far away. I mean, there's been really hard, painful things. Um, And I've been able to be abstinent one day at a time through really painful things. And that's something I never would have imagined. And it's true. Um, It has been true for me. And I feel confident one day at a time, if I continue to do the footwork, um, like my higher power and the steps and all of you, like will keep me abstinent um, through whatever life throws at me. Um, And I'm also very clear that if I stop doing the footwork, Um, this recovery is gone in a minute. And I'll have my head back in the trash, lying to my kid and checking out of life. And I will go to any length to not go back there. Um, And so I just, I'm grateful to all of you, your recovery, your commitment and the footwork you do by showing up um, every week to this meeting and others. And so just thank you so much for my recovery and for the opportunity to share tonight.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tara. That was amazing. Um, So we have about seven minutes for questions. Um, So if you would like to ask Tara a question, you can either use the raise hand function, which is you can find by clicking participants, um, or you can chat them directly to me if you're not in a space where you can speak verbally um, and I'll read them out to Tara. So looks like Nancy has her hand raised. Nancy, you want to ask your question? My name is Nancy B and I'm a compulsive overeater 100 pounder. I've been in OA 44 years with 150 pound weight loss and Tara, Wow, what a wonderful share that was. I'm hoping that you may share because I know there's people hearing this all over the world, so many new people, a little about this program, how it promises to be happy, joyous, and free. How maybe now by inches and seconds you don't do things anymore that can get you in trouble about your relationship with your child how it's improved if you could not spend a few minutes telling us about what it's like walking through that Archer mm-hmm. Freeman a little about recovery and the Absol- joy
1: absolutely thanks for the question Nancy i mean i love to talk about my recovery and being a parent i mean that is something I'm having a beautiful experience as a parent and it's because of recovery. Um, My daughter gets to feel every single feeling she has. She gets to express it. We get to talk about feelings. We get to talk about how to express them like with children in a way that doesn't hurt other people. Um, But I get to have this really amazing relationship with her and raise her in a way where she sees her strength Um, She knows that like she is human that we make mistakes like the way the way to fulfillment and passion is through mistakes and is through just getting out there like I was so afraid of making mistakes I tried nothing Um, and this kid of mine you know just says oh like if she's outside and she's filthy oh mom I'm dirty like dirty means I'm having fun like I've raised I've raised that child which is because of recovery and and it's it's been such an amazing ride. And I also get to like have this beautiful experience in all of my identities and the many identities where I see them as, as opportunities, like opportunities to grow, opportunities to be a recovered person in the world. Um, and that, is, that brings me a lot of joy. But I think, you know, parenting is the way where I, I have seen it the most clearly is that my daughter just gets a different experience and I'm over the moon about that. Like, I can't wait to see the human being, the adult she's gonna be in the world. Um, I mean, she's gonna have her own stuff, um, but she's probably not gonna have my stuff. And that brings me deep and profound joy.
0: Beautiful. Um, We got a question in the chat. They would like to know um, what your daily routine is.
1: Absolutely. So most mornings, um, I start with prayer, I get on my knees, I say the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, and I'm a huge fan of the set aside prayer. So for anyone who doesn't know it, it's, you know, God, please help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, me, the 12 steps, recovery, and then anything that is obsessing in my mind. So this morning it was, What to do about my daughter's virtual schooling? Should we leave the country? Um, What am I doing tomorrow? Um, What do I do about the smoke in Altadena? Um, And then the end of the prayer is, so I I may truly know the truth and have an open mind to a new experience. I meditate, it ranges. Um, Sometimes it's a minute, sometimes it's five minutes. Um, My meditation is definitely a work in progress. I write. Um, sometimes it's a 10th step. Sometimes it's a letter to God. Um, sometimes it's a gratitude list. I don't always have control of my time in the morning. Um, I get woken up um, by a little one. So, and then I plan out my food for the day. I write what, I'm, what my plan is gonna be for, for food for the day. And that's my general sort of structure for my, my daily routine. Great, we'll go back to the raised hands. Uh, Blake, would
0: you like to unmute and ask your question? Yes, hi, I'm Blake, I'm a compulsive Reader. Uh, thank you, Tara, for sharing your story. I was gonna ask, uh, what are some ways you connect with your higher power? I know you kind of just answered that a bit, but if you
1: have any other uh, ways you can share, thank you. Sure, absolutely. Um, I pray all day, every day um so for me like I start the day with prayer but I just sort of stay in constant communication with my higher power I also have this um I put my my hand to my chest so if I'm like out in the world and I feel like I need to somehow connect myself like ground myself in my higher power I'll put my hand in my chest just as a way to remind myself that I'm not alone that you know as the big book says like God is everything or God is nothing. And I make a choice every day to have God be everything. And so I put my hand to my heart and that's just a physical reminder for me. Um, my sponsor also recently gave me just a, a quick prayer, which I love because it it off it reflects, I feel like the desperation that I often feel is, God, please send help. You know, it, it feels like an SOS, um, which, which I have. Um, so I think, That's another way um, that I do it, and through meditation, Um, I through think meditation is is often the way where I feel like I can get my mind gets quiet enough to hear my higher power, um, or to hear my intuition. Because for me, like the journey of higher power, um, sometimes it's outside of myself. And sometimes I have moments where it gets a little bit like, what is my higher power? Like sometimes it's the highest version of myself that when my disease is loud, I'm not connected to. Um, So it sort of depends where I am. Thanks, I heard that. Great, thank you so much, Tara. That's all the time we have for questions. We'll turn it over to
0: Lucy, our secretary.